Right, well firstly, I'd love to um, introduce you to WINS, aka Women in Sport, the podcast. And um, my second guest of this series is Jordan Williamson. Jordan, I don't know if you want to take it away and introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, firstly, well, thank you for having me. Um, it's great to be here and um, great to, to talk about all things women's sport. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Jordan. I currently work at CSM Sport and Entertainment. Um, and I think... Uh, it'd be good to start, I guess, with my connection to sport. Um, I guess a lot of people listening to this will, will love sport, have a background in sport. So um, I still attempt to play football on a Sunday sometimes. It's similar to me, to it's, Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know that we're both um, Chelsea fans, um, so great to connect on, on that front. Yeah. Um, I think, like a lot of people, grew up playing a lot of sport, lots of different sports, feel really lucky uh, in that sense. So I have two brothers, so very much brought up uh, on football in the garden so it was very much a, a conversation around well you can either stand in goal and let us kick footballs at you um, <laughs> or you can learn how to play so yeah. I decided to go down the latter route um, which I'm super grateful for because uh, football's been amazing in my life in terms of the friends you make the, the, the kind of teammates and everything that we all know sport is amazing at yeah. um, as well as the elite side and, and now being able to call it my job so um, yeah very lucky that my parents encouraged us to play all sorts of sports I think they're lucky the days of being glorified taxi drivers are kind of behind them um, but yeah anything from tennis swimming athletics you name it feel really really fortunate that that was a big part of us growing up and uh, yeah always very competitive with my brothers uh, still to this day um, so yeah all things sport have been been in our family since we were kids um, and yeah there was one girls team in the local area so yep. uh, when it came to choosing what I wanted to do I just wanted to be doing the same thing as my brothers so yeah, just yeah. wanted to keep playing football and yeah felt very lucky that there was a girls team at that time just one whereas now when I go back to visit my parents um, the old fields that we used to play in yeah. um, now on a Saturday you see like the whole whole field filled with, with young girls teams and when they come walking past with their little boot bags, I know, analyzing the games well. of their mates, I'm like, it's just amazing. So yeah. love seeing all of that. Um, and then, yeah, just carried on sport through yeah, school, university. And then, yeah, like I said, lucky to now watch, talk about, bore people with sport all day and actually call it my job at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And you, and you mentioned your job. So obviously CSM, I don't know if you could tell the listeners a bit about what that involves yeah of course so um, CSM is a full sport and entertainment marketing agency so we have a wide range of, of capabilities from kind of brand management live events experiences campaigns um, and where I sit and where I kind of fit into the equation is within our like rights management and partnership developments team um, so started out very much on on the athlete side mm -hmm. so and still have a big big part to do with that um, in my current role but um, we, we have a whole suite and a whole range of things we do with athletes. So we have our own in-house roster of athletes. Okay. So we have a large range of athletes across rugby, football and cricket predominantly. Um, obviously, Rugby World Cup coming up this summer. So huge, huge year for our, for our rugby players. Um, so we provide a full service offering for, for our talents. So that's everything from on-pitch and off-pitch management. Mm -hmm. So where I fit in is very much the off-pitch commercial partnerships, kind of making um, sponsorships and opportunities come to life for our players in terms of off-pitch and 
That includes developing their brand and helping them understand like their own values. And one of the things we get a lot actually is a lot of players feel this pressure to be all things to all people and okay, interesting. feeling like they have to kind of uh, like answer everyone's or like be an audience for everyone. And yeah. sometimes it's a case of, okay, like let's step back. What do you actually stand for? What do you actually believe? What's really passionate to you? What's authentic? And let's lean into that because you don't have to have everything covered um, let's just kind of really start from like just rewind start from the, yeah. the ground up um, so that's a lot of the work we do with our players and then um, more recently been working on kind of partnership development in terms of uh, working on behalf of brands to find them the right space whether that be with ambassadors and other talent so mm -hmm. through that lens and through that kind of strategy work I've been lucky enough to work with a whole range of athletes and a lot more female athletes which has been amazing this last couple of years um, and then also just looking at rights holders as well. So if athletes and ambassadors isn't right for them, could we look at uh, a more kind of traditional rights holder partnership, whether that be with the 100 or in Formula One or yep. our US team works closely with the WTA. So lots of exciting things there. So. And you talked just then about someone being something for everyone, essentially. Do you mm -hmm. think that differs between female and male athletes in what you've experienced? Um, I think athletes in general have yeah. this like they're they're competitive they want to win they want to um not to please everyone should we say but they they want to be elite in everything they yeah, do yeah, yeah, yeah so that's i think that's a thing across all athletes i haven't seen a huge difference between um the, the male and female side but yeah i think um a lot of the female athletes just have it a bit more figured out yeah, um okay. whereas they they tend to have kind of thought a bit more about who they are and what they stand for and on the whole I don't want to talk in too broad a brush strokes athletes no, are people and they're yeah. individuals and um, everyone's different but we find that um, and especially you'll see in the likes of tennis with Naomi Osaka and, and Raducanu and various people like that they're a lot more kind of purpose driven and unapologetically so like they're willing to kind of speak out for what they stand for we've seen all with the US um, women's soccer team and, and there's been a lot more kind of purpose-driven narrative um, that female athletes just seem a lot more comfortable with from the kind of get-go male athletes are getting there and like I said athletes are people and they're individuals and they're all they're yep. all very different but on the whole that's kind of the trend we've seen okay and I guess um, you know moving on to some of the nitty-gritty so to speak so as the popularity of women's sports increases, and as we've seen, it's been an incredible couple of years for, for women's sports. And as a result of that, the business case for women's sport obviously increases. How do you think that will affect brand partnership and sponsorship going forward in your role? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think what's been really interesting is seeing the narrative start to shift from women's sport being like, a nice thing to do or something that brands feel they maybe should do into being like actually there's huge value here there's big return on investment that brands are starting to see in the space and can see in the space and other brands are like oh hang on <laughs> there's real yeah, opportunity over yeah. there maybe we should have kind of invested in that earlier on or maybe looking at it through a slightly envious lens because now there's that delicate balance of trying to not jump on the bandwagon so yeah, to speak so how do you kind of get into the space in a kind of authentic and meaningful way. So I know as an agency, uh, I've got very smart colleagues of mine, so I can't take all the credit, um, who are doing incredible work and in making sure that we actually have the data, the insights, um, 
to, to really educate and inform brands on what the opportunity looks like and what the tangible opportunity is in women's sport in terms of the value and, and how to go about it as well. Because I think a lot of brands really, really want to. So we actually, recent survey data showed that over a third of brands would actually like to do more in women's sport but okay. if they can find the right opportunity. So we've really tasked ourselves with kind of how do we help brands find the right opportunity because if it's something they're looking to do for the first time and they want to do it right as well, which I think is really important. Um, brands don't want to go into it half-hearted or kind of just do a bit of a badging exercise. It's like, actually, how do we do this properly and how we, do we make sure it's the right opportunity for us? So as an agency, we want to make sure we have all the data and the insights to really inform and educate both ourselves and our employees and our yeah. kind of global capabilities because sport is global and women's sport is global and it's at different levels throughout mm -hmm. the kind of global obviously we kind of talk about how amazing football's been here in the UK but obviously you go into other countries it's still got a long way to go so um, yeah it's making sure that we we educate and inform to make sure we can kind of have the the longer term side of things covered um, so yeah that that commercial motivation for investment I think it's going to be a real real trend we're going to see brands starting to get involved in a meaningful way to actually kind of drive return on that investment as yeah. opposed to that nice to have um, so my hope is that we'll see much more meaningful longer term partnerships in the space. Mm -hmm. Ideally, bigger investments, more money, everything like I think we're also afraid to talk about money a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it's a really important part. It's like it's is understanding and appreciating the value that is there um, and just not being afraid to, to really put that value forward and be kind of brave about it and just talk about money and investment as yeah. opposed to kind of maybe being a bit just grateful for what's here and there and mm -hmm. any kind of investment is good investment it's actually like no like we're at a position now where women's sport is really kind of on this trajectory let's make sure that the value coming in is is good and right and going to the right places as well yeah and I think everyone can agree money tends to be an incentive for all parties so yes, exactly money but also also values I think yeah. making sure I think women's sport has been particularly good in in this space of making sure that it's not just any investment, we want it to be the right investment and kind yeah. of standing up for that investment coming from the, the brands investing, having the same similar values or same values that they can really invest in a meaningful way. It's not just money's the solution, but yeah. it's, a fine, it's a fine balance, right? Brands aren't doing this for the sake of their health or for no. like the goodness of their hearts no, to be like no, 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 I yeah. think we try and remind ourselves that when you're kind of talking to to brands and, and marketing experts within brands that their jobs are on the line right they've all got families and mortgages and jobs to keep and yep. performances to to deliver against and so our job is to make sure that the sponsorships and the, the elements they look to sponsor um, help them succeed internally as well so it's got to be right for both sides um, so it's a big old balancing act. Um, and I guess, as we've seen that sponsorship has increased, what would you say are going to be like the big shifts in the coming year for women's sponsorship? Yeah, so um, I think it's more looking at kind of the, the key trends. And I think we've yeah. seen a lot of them start to kind of bed in and I think some of them are really exciting. Um, and I think we're going to really start to see them grow. So the first one that speaking to a lot with kind of colleagues and um, people in the industry is that scope for innovation and that's what I personally find really exciting is that women's sport ultimately in certain areas is still in its 
infancy, but also it's free of a lot of the complex commercial structures. It's a lot less saturated than the men's game, especially when we're talking about football and looking at football. And there's obviously a lot of historic red tape and various things in place that actually the women's game can navigate and can really have this bed of innovation and can really try new things, whether that be the way the broadcast is done or how it's kind of recorded like I love the idea of having like Emma Hayes mic'd up during yeah, a game yeah, and getting no, kind of snippets yeah, of and, and just doing some really cool things that maybe the men's game isn't quite as easily able to do and just use it as this amazing kind of pot of innovation some stuff won't work but at least we're giving it a go and some stuff might be amazing we can take that forward and it'd be awesome to start to see the men stealing stuff from the women's game because it's worked so well there and we can kind of um, really drive things forward on both sides because we want sport to get better, to be more entertaining and not kind of just be stuck in, in the dimension it's in. So I think the innovation trend yeah. we'll, we'll start to see and I think um, I'm very conscious that I do have a football bias so I tend to lean and talk about football and I love football but there's so much that can be done across women's sport and I think as well like cross sport learnings, what can football learn from other sports yeah. and where can innovation happen in other sports. So. I think that's the first thing. Um, and I think the the digital first element of women's sport is really interesting. And I think that's something that brands are really starting to mm. understand and appreciate. So um, we will kind of look back to World Cups gone by and various kind of female football fixtures. And you had to be pretty digitally savvy just to find these games yeah. Or yeah, wherever yeah. they were being shown or whatever links or whatever it might have been. So you're finding that actually like women's sport fans are inherently digital first like they're really kind of just quite comfortable with watching a match on youtube and kind of just being very kind of in and amongst it with with the digital element so i think obviously brands at the moment everything is that that digital focus and that digital first approach so there's a really kind of ripe audience for that so i do think that innovation will lend itself to to all the kind of digital elements I've uh, said digital a lot, but <laughs> I'm not a digital expert, but that's kind of one of the other things. And obviously content, monetization, all that kind of stuff that comes into it. Um, what well, I am, I wouldn't say an expert, but attempting to be an expert in the space of athletes. And I think that's another really interesting trend and something we're going to see um, take on various different forms. There's so many untold athlete stories in the women's space mm. that are just ripe and ready to be told. And um, I was uh, just at a talk this morning where we were kind of celebrating everything TikTok have been doing with the Women's Six Nations and how historically the men's game in rugby is very much you have to kind of stay humble, don't have too much of an outwardly facing personality, like don't get too above your station, whereas everything TikTok are doing with the Women's Six Nations is empowering the women's players to tell their stories, to have personalities, to attract the different fans and different people that can relate to them. And I think we're going to start to see these athletes really kind of rise to prominence and be something that brands really want to kind of partner with and get involved with, which for me is super exciting, having that kind of athlete background. Um, and like I said, they're, they're quite unapologetic in terms of yeah. purpose-driven and, and what they stand for. As they should be. Um, so, yeah, those untold stories, I think we're going to see more role models coming through. I also think there's some interesting commercial decisions and structures that are going to start to evolve for example um i know a lot of the wsl teams are starting to look at image rights structures with the women's players for the first time ever before it just wasn't in their minds worth looking at or it didn't really make sense to integrate those into their playing structures in the similar way they did with the men's 
whereas now you're starting to see the commercial success and I think the clubs are seeing the money they're making from ambassador agreements yeah. and so it's becoming something that players can leverage in their playing and employment contracts as well so trends and shifts like that which kind of sometimes go under the radar a little bit um, will start to be interesting to see how they play out and then how that looks in, in terms of like the commercial landscape and what players can and can't do and how they're utilised and how much autonomy they get over yeah. how they're utilised as well so that's something that um, will be interesting to see how that plays out and I think last but not least there's um, a lot of evidence that the women's sport audience actually skews younger and in this never-ending world of brands constantly telling us they want to target Gen Z um, women's sport is proving a really powerful platform with which to do that because the data is showing that yeah the fans are skewing younger family orientated as well so it's a real ripe audience that I think yeah that's only going to grow and I hope that we nurture and protect that. In the, in the same panel this morning, we were talking about kind of that balance of ticket pricing. Yeah, and okay. as, as the sports and as the kind of fixtures become um, in higher demand, more popularity, that balance between obviously wanting to drive revenue that can get fed back into the game, but also keeping it accessible and keeping it relevantly priced to the audience you want to attract and the audience you want to be coming along. and. I think, again, leaning back into the rugby example, if you wanted to take your family to a men's game at Twickenham in the Six Nations, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a pretty, it's a pretty expensive yep. day out, whereas I think the, the women's games at the moment, I think tickets are like £10 for kids, £15 for adults, and suddenly that's an amazing family day out. Um, you can get down to Twickenham and it, it makes sense. Again, like I think I said before, um, Balancing Act comes into it, but... Yeah, so I think there are a few of the things and a few of the trends that have already started to bed in, but I think we're going to see those kind of accelerate and, yeah. and take on um, new life as different sports grow. And just taking away a key factor of essentially what you've said is that accessibility level. And I think social media, is, as you've already indicated, is a huge driver for that. And, you know, Gen Z are the pinnacle of how to use social media, essentially. And I, I mean, kind of off piece here, but there's, um, I don't know if you've seen, there's this TikTok of a female football team and they put headcams on when they're training. I and have seen it, it's for, hilarious. For all listeners, you have, to, you have to go search for this TikTok because it is incredible. But even that, on that grassroots level of accessibility and just making it fun and, and making people aware that, you know, these, these females throughout, are, are doing this sport and and you know just putting themselves out there is just great to see um i guess mate shifting to to the company and corporate side of of these all of these aspects you know there's obviously a huge market for for brands to capitalize on and i guess you'd agree on like with that statement on the basis of what you've been saying so far is yeah, that right absolutely. yeah and I guess taking Ali Financial as, as an example here, you saw, you may have seen in June last year, they made quite a, a public statement that it would spend equal ad amounts or advertisement amounts across both women's and men's sports programmes within the next five years. Do you think more companies should be saying stuff like that or, or making those drivers and those, those bold statements to, to capitalise in a very broad term on women's sports and, and the sponsorship and advertisements they can make from that. Yeah, so I think it's, I think it's um, like I said before, really about educating and informing the brands on what and 
how that yeah. can can look. So, um, as we know, women's sport is still currently quite underdeveloped commercially. We know that men's sport is often cluttered, expensive, saturated, and so trying to get that share of voice is really tricky. And like I said, often high high price point for the actual rights fee and and the entry point into the market. Um, and often we find predictable and similar kind of sponsorships. So it's it's talking to the brand about actually what how you can build it differently in the women's game and what that investment can look like and how it can come to life. So you can actually gain considerable credit from, from the women's sport market by actually helping build the market. So yeah. it's actually, okay, this is actually an investment and how can you build and help women's sport grow so it's also about how that money's being spent and what they're doing with it and how they're thinking about it so there's a real opportunity for ownership which we know that brands are really keen when they're looking at the different elements they can have involved in a partnership mm -hmm. is their title rights is their assets that they can really own and put their name to the answer in women's sport is yes um, so there's a load of uncluttered opportunities that we're, and we're seeing it with the likes of Barclays you can really yeah. own and build a space and actually kind of gain that credibility um, and the reality is it is a lower rights fee so it costs you less to to attain that right which means that you can actually invest larger sums into the activation and the amplification so yep. it's actually okay how do we take that budget and how do we use that to, to amplify and activate this partnership and I think that's where the investment element can be really powerful and really important for brands and can allow you to be like really cost-effective and stand out and I think another so an, to summarise that bit, there's, a, there's an element of going back to that innovation and also contribution. So what can brands do to contribute? And then that gives them the brand legitimacy in the space to actually kind of talk and, and build as opposed to it just being a badging exercise, which is the kind of like um, the thing that people don't like to admit that they do when a lot of brands still do that. Yep. Um, and I think the last thing is looking at it in terms of, OK, yes, money is a huge driver, but what can you look at in terms of the value in kind and value that you can input into the sport in other ways. So there's kind of an opportunity to provide an extensive resources to help promote the sport and the events. And, and I mentioned it previously, but what TikTok are doing around the Six Nations, like it's not just about the money they're investing, it's what they're doing in terms of exposure and how they're helping yeah. drive viewership and drive that audience to the Six Nations. Like there's more to it than just pounds and pence being exchanged it's actually thinking about what that investment looks like and how you can just be more thoughtful with it and really think about how to activate and amplify it so um, I think that's the thing in terms of the women's game that needs to be kind of thought about going forward yeah and I guess that exposure is what's going to drive you know those little girls to think oh you know what I'm going to be yeah an absolutely rugby player. yeah I mean I like to tell myself that it's because the lionesses weren't at the prominence they are now, that I didn't have anyone to look up to and be like, oh, I could have been that. But I think it's probably the fact that I just wasn't quite talented enough, um, if I'm to be totally truthful. But role models are everything, right? Like, yeah, you're going to exactly. have those young girls now looking at the lionesses and being like, actually, like, I think the cheesy phrase is like, you've got to see it to believe it. Yeah. And when we were younger, yes, there were women's players doing amazing things. but. The reality of like actually could that be a career and could I pay my mortgage and could I just do that without also having another job yeah the reality was no um so when it came to do I go to university or do I keep trying to play football football was always just a hobby um and 
luckily some people were much more talented than me and went on to make it more than a hobby and are yeah. obviously doing all the amazing things they're doing now um but yeah it's it's amazing that the exposure is really important and i think looking at the athlete side of it i think as well it's just giving athletes the opportunity and the choice not every athlete has to be a tiktok star no of course like, not. that's okay too and that's something that we try and discuss with our athletes it's like look yes exposure and views is going to be great for for some brands but it's not the be all and end all like you can just focus on being good at your sport and that will attract certain brands too you don't all have to be famous celebrities influencers as well as what you do I think like Rachel Blackmore the the jockey she doesn't have social media yeah but I know she does very well commercially so it's it's not like one or the other it's actually okay what's right for you if you don't like making TikToks or you're you're just not great at social media it doesn't come naturally to you it detracts you from being able to focus okay. on your sport mm. that's fine like let's let's work with what works for you and then the rest will come and that makes uh, that makes complete sense to me and just going back to something that you said earlier about badging and the <laughs> sponsorship and stuff like that so um, I guess taking Angel City Football Club, apologies mm. for all, because obviously we're speaking about football again. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've devised a sponsorship model that allocates 10% of its sponsorship revenue to three pillars, equity, essentials and education. What are your thoughts on, on such a model? And do you think, do you think clubs and, and other teams should be doing the same thing? Yeah, obviously it's fantastic. I know um, we all use Angel City as a great little... Uh, case study or example and it gets spoken about a lot because they're obviously pushing boundaries and and doing amazing things but I think it's less about replicating that model Um, it's more about it being a great example of that key trend of innovation where we can try new things they've obviously got the scope to try loads of different things um, and see what works and it's a case of yeah what can can people do and what can teams and rights holders do to really kind of just break the mold and innovate and try different things so it doesn't simply need to be that replica of the men's game so it's how do we kind of try new formats new commercial structures and I think we are we are seeing that like it's not mm-hmm. not happening so um, feel privileged to be able to work on the hundred which has obviously done amazing things for for women's cricket and getting it on kind of BBC and Sky throughout the summer um, and really driving the the women's game and having it equal prize money and on like double headers with the men's game there's a little girl that I do some football coaching with who her dad took her along to the um, the 100 and when the women's game was finished she was like right let's go home <laughs> don't need to watch like Jordan I'm done with you thank you <laughs> um, so yeah so that's been brilliant so you're seeing rights holders really kind of sit up and take notice and understand that it's not just on the brands um, to kind of invest money it's actually okay what can rights holders do to innovate to really kind of have a look at the formats, have a look at what they're doing for, for the women's game and how they can kind of try new things and, and innovate in their formats or their commercial structures or just ha- just sit back and think about it as opposed to just replicating what's happening in the men's game. So we've seen things like the unbundling of women's rights in FIFA and UEFA, yeah. um, obviously the innovation with new formats like the 100. Um, and in some instances, it's actually better and beneficial to align with the men's game so things like the WTA and the ATP just getting better aligned and actually kind of tennis is a very complicated structure (laughs) in terms of how the different governing bodies work but sometimes actually it's a case of how about we 
align for the betterment of the sport as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been great. And then obviously kind of digital first element to it as well, um, how the kind of digital side can really help help drive it forward. So yeah, I think it's less about replicating models and more about just what people can do to think about innovating and just doing things a bit differently um, would be the main thing. And I guess agencies such as yourself are helping drive that with brands. Is there anything else that you guys are doing in Absol that space? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, from our point of view, it's been around really kind of educating and informing and making sure we're looking at the data, doing our research, and therefore we're able to educate and inform the brands we're working with and the rights holders we're working with. Because I think that's the powerful thing is we can sit here and talk about how wonderful it is. And I think people get it, but actually a lot of decisions are underpinned by data and stats and facts. And so really being able to demonstrate that and really talk about return on investment and things that really get brands properly, seriously thinking and evaluating opportunities. So um, we've been proud and uh, there's been people working really hard within our agency to, to, to bring those to life and make sure that we are kind of leading in that space. Um, and we're also really proud of our global impact and reach. So we are a global agency. Um, so as I said, we understand women's sport is in different points across different markets. So we can lean into our global footprint and our local market expertise to help drive change in different markets and learn from each market. And so that's something that, that we've been really kind of proactively doing as well. And also just like the practicalities, like developing tools and resources yeah. to, to arm people with the information that they need to be able to talk about it in, a, in an informed manner um, with kind of existing brands and then also helping new brands look at the space and evaluate where those right opportunities might be for them. Because our initial research showed loads of brands want to get into the space or want yep. to look at the space, but they just maybe don't quite know where to start or how to start. Um, so we're really doing our bit to make sure we're, we're positioned to be able to help in that way as best as possible. And then also, measurement and evaluation. So when we're bringing brands into the space, making sure they're measuring, evaluating, able to evolve their partnerships yep, as well. Yeah, yeah. And then we can utilize that to keep them in the sport and keep it working for them. And then also convince other people by saying, look at all this, look how great this has worked. This is why women's sport can shift the dial for you here, here and here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of, been a proactive journey for us in terms of making sure that that's all in place um, and we're really proud of that. Yeah and as you say I guess it's all about learnings isn't it and just taking yeah, taking each day each month as it comes and you know adapting yourselves and the brands to adapt as well as, it, as that process goes. So. Yeah definitely and I think there's obviously then the proactive steps that we take yeah. as well so um, from my point of view we're, we're actively taking female athletes and, and like women's sport rights holders to market as well so we're we're kind of developing the resources, but then we're also kind of proactively going to market and trying to encourage investment into women's sport as well, which um, I'm extremely passionate about and, and proud to be working on. Um, and we've got amazing rights holders, such as the Netball World Cup that we're working on, um, the 100, like I mentioned, um, and, and various brand ambassadors and athletes. So really excited to be working with some kind of female football talent ahead of the Women's World Cup, which I can't do any spoilers, but hopefully there'll be some pretty cool campaigns coming out maybe with some Chelsea players maybe not oh. we'll have to wait and see um, but yes and finally starting to see them not being too afraid to put decent commercial values um, and start to charge some kind of 
interesting fees yeah. um, and rates, which has been great to see. Obviously, the negotiator in me is uh, <laughs> a little bit like, okay, I know what budgets we have to work with here, but equally yeah. it's like the fan in me and the, the women's kind of football fan in me like is like, play. this is amazing. Yeah. Like, who would have thought even two or three years ago that female footballers would be able to command these fees yeah, for, yeah, for yeah. brand endorsements and partnerships. Um, and rightly so, the value is there. They're attracting the audiences, they've got the fan bases um, and brands want to get involved with that and therefore they have to, to pay. Oh, I mean, it sounds great. Um, yeah. <laughs> first of all, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Pleasure. And um, just to round off, what change would you like to see for women's sport in the near future? Um, so two asks from me would be for Chelsea women's team to win the Champions League. Love that. So um, <laughs> that's one. And then a uh, close second would be for England to win the World Cup. Amazing. So they would be two big things. But then I think um, one of the things that feels important and we live in a world in terms of agency and rights holder and brands whereby largely targets and financial incentives and drivers are on an annual basis and we all have things to hit in terms of targets and meet but I think what we really need to encourage in this space is patience and a long-term view because I think that's going to be what drives um, the most success and the most change in kind of women's sports so it's actually being like okay let's all just be a bit patient in this um, and see how we can kind of develop and innovate for the longer term as opposed to any kind of too many short-term um, obviously, you want to capitalise on the short term where, where relevant and where possible. But yeah, just a, a patient lens on everything as well, I think would be great. Thank you very much. And I'd just like to say, if anyone would like to come and share their story, you'd be very welcome to join me. And please do reach out if so. Until next time, keep your ears, eyes and mind open for all the wins. Mm -hmm.